Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. And uh, Nick, uh, I know yesterday um, on Thanksgiving, um, you were thankful to not have to work on the holiday for once. Um, you know, and I'm thankful that I get a full weekend off with my family since the Chiefs are on the bye week. So, uh, you know, lots to be thankful for. I'm just here sipping on my uh, my OJ, <laughs> my orange juice. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anybody getting any particular about anything. No, there's no, it's just pure orange juice. Okay. Did you get so, any hugs this week? <clears throat> unfortunately, um, I was ambushed with one, um, but I did not partake in that process. So it does not count. <laughs> And I tried to escape the uh, the grip of uh, your wife ambushing me with a an attempted hug. <laughs> it wasn't attempted hug. She definitely hugged you. Yeah, but the, there wasn't uh, there wasn't two people involved that were uh, participating in the hug, so it's not technically considered a hug. So, what do you have against my wife? <laughs> I don't have anything against <laughs> your wife. <laughs> I'm just saying that you know I was not. I'm not about that hug life, man. And then you tried to make me into a villain with your kid, so that was fun. Well, I didn't. He just asked if he could have a hug too. Yeah, man. People and, think uh, I, people think I hand this out like it's free candy. I don't do that. It's not not how I roll. I think I am going to start a line of hoodies for you that that say hashtag hug life. I mean, you can start it, but it's not going to be successful because I'm not going to retweet it. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can use the 41 account to do it, but I'm still gonna. I mean. You know, do do we have to pay you for name, image, and likeness rights? I'm like 100% sure that you should, if that were the case. <laughs> but um, I, I, if I'm if I'm you, I don't I don't go down that road. I think it's a I think it's an awful business plan. But as I always tell people, you do what feels right in your heart, man. Uh, if we only sell one, it will be totally worth it in my eyes. Well, and I'm pretty sure my wife will buy one. So that's what I'm saying. It'll clearly be a member of your family that would get it. That's fine. It might be a losing business venture, but in my heart, it will feel right. So I think I'm onto something here. All right. Well, I wish you the best uh, doing this without using my name, image, and likeness with, since I won't uh, approve of it. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, I have that, that photo is my copyrighted property. So. <laughs> yeah, but I never signed a, uh, a consent form on that or some other type of form. Uh, so. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can forge one. We'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. <laughs> so I, I heard that, uh, you know, there's football going on. Yeah, I mean, look, they already had three Thanksgiving Day games. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe, probably not ideal if you're a Chiefs fan. I mean, I, I, I personally was torn watching Raiders Dallas. I mean, I, you know. I wasn't rooting hard for either one of them. Um, obviously, I think had the Raiders lost, it gives the Chiefs a little more breathing room in the AFC West. But ultimately, if the Chiefs beat the Raiders on December 12th, then they'd effectively have a three-game lead, you know, probably, assuming they also beat Denver because they'd be, you know, potentially up two in the standings and have swept the season series. They'd have a, essentially a three-game lead with, you know, four games to play, which would be pretty insurmountable, I think, at that point. Um, you know, it would have been nice if the Saints had shown up at home on on you know Thanksgiving night and and maybe taken one from the Bills. But you know, looking at it, I still think I, I think if the Chiefs win out, they're going to be the number one seed without question. 
Uh, I still think they can go 12 and five and get the number one seed. And I, I wrote about it about like kind of the possibilities at KSHB.com uh, this week, you know, kind of looking at that and, and it just, it comes down to the schedule, you know, but like, I, I mean, when you look at like Tennessee, like their offense has struggled since, since Travis Henry went down. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I know they beat That's the Rams. Since Derrick Henry went down. Right. Yeah. Derrick Henry. Travis Henry um, was a running back a long time ago from <laughs> yesteryear with the bills. <laughs> um, but you know, their, their defense had played well enough against the Rams and against the saints to kind of obscure some of the struggles that they had on offense. And then it all kind of came to a head in a terrible loss when Ryan Tannehill threw four interceptions against the Texans. But you know, they've got some tough games ahead. You know, I mean, they've got new England this weekend. They've still got Pittsburgh on the road. Um, they, they host San Francisco and Miami teams that I think are capable of beating them. So I, I don't think it's too far fetched to think they get to 11, you know, that there's three more losses on the schedule for them. And I think the same can be said for Baltimore, uh, you know, for new England, for Buffalo. I think there's a good chance that you see a glut of teams that are end up in that 11 to six range. And if that's the case and the chiefs finish 12 and five, then they'd be the number one seed. And I think that's entirely possible. Um, look, we know how good Andy Reid is in division games, how good he's been with the chiefs in division games, four of their remaining six are division games. They know they've, you know, probably got to sweep those to ensure that they win the division. Um, we know how Andy Reid is coming off a bye, looking ahead to that Denver game. I, do you see the, do you see the chiefs winning the division and, and would you even characterize them maybe as the, the favorites for the number one seed at this point, when you look at the rest of the AFC uh, AFC and their schedules? Um, I mean, right now the Chiefs just need to worry about winning out. Like that, that's the number one thing that they got to do to put themselves in the best position possible to get the one or two seed. Um, that's, that's what they need to focus on right now. So, I mean, just do that and all and the chips will fall wherever they're going to at that point. Um, I mean, in, in regards towards the Chiefs with that, like I said, I mean, they, they dug themselves a hole in terms of tiebreakers that with losing to the Chargers, losing to the Ravens, losing to the Titans, and then also on top of that, I'm trying to remember. I always forget the four teams they lost to. Ravens, Chargers, Titans, and... Buffalo Bills. The Bills, okay. Yeah. So those those four teams obviously all beat them technically right now in head to head. And then if they split with the chargers on Thursday night, then at that point, the way that they can, that can shake out is then the chiefs have to have a better division record. And then if they're tied on that, then the chiefs have to have a better conference record right now. The chiefs are at the bottom of the ranks in terms of conference record. So from a tiebreaker perspective, they either got to be the best overall um, for AFC Otherwise, it starts going into head-to-head if they're tied, and then it also goes into conference record after that. And the Chiefs are going to have to use the a. They're going to have to use the rest of the schedule to boost them up with their conference record to have a chance in that regard. And then they're going to need to keep pace against the AFC West teams to be able to win the division record. So for the Chiefs, there's minimal margin for error if they do want to be the one seed or if they do want to win the AFC West. They just they're not going to be able to stumble too much if they want to be hosting a home playoff game. Yeah. I mean, they're two and four in conference right now, um, but all six of the remaining games are against the AFC. So 
they've got a chance to get to eight and four, seven and five in the conference race, which probably still not going to, it remains to be seen depending on who they're, who they're going against and, and who, you know, what, what teams, those, uh, those guys lose to down the stretch potentially to, to see whether eight and four would be good enough or seven and five would be good enough um, from a conference record standpoint. But I, I look, if you're the chiefs, I think you're, you're happy to be in the position that you're in because you you've given yourself a chance like, and wh- whether it was, I mean, yeah, they got lucky that Aaron Rodgers didn't play and things like that. But bottom line is the chiefs have put themselves in position where I truly believe they control their own destiny. If they went out, I think they'll still be the number one seed. Uh, based on, uh, you know, just projecting the the, re- the schedule for the rest of, of the conference. Um, and that's at this point in the season, that's all you can ask for, right? Is to give yourself a chance to reach every goal you had. And, and the Chiefs, it wasn't pretty, but they found themselves, it, you know, put themselves in that position, I believe. Yeah, I mean, just just keep winning. That's, that's all you're going to be able to do because with the Bills winning um, on Thursday night, they're back in the three seed and they're technically above the chiefs just simply because they hold the head to head over the chiefs. And the yeah. bills also have a five and four conference record to the chiefs two and four. So, I mean, right now the chiefs need to get the chiefs need to get healthy on conference record. And that's why winning out can help them a great deal because the Titans are five and two in the conference and hold the head to head over the chiefs. The, the Ravens are four and three and hold the head-to-head. Like I said, the Bills are 5-4 and four and hold the head-to-head. Um, the Patriots right now are just a, are just 5-1 and one with a handful of games, you know, headed their way at that point. And then the Chargers are 4-2 and two at this point. So, I mean, Chiefs are really, like I said, the Chiefs have put, them in a, put themselves in a position from a conference perspective to where they really need to win out to be able to hold that tiebreaker over teams if they need it. Yeah, and like I think we talked last week about how the the Patriots to me are probably the the scariest team in the AFC right now. I know that's not to disrespect Baltimore, who you know has a better record and and obviously beat the Chiefs, but you know Baltimore's had a lot of close games and credit to them for winning, but they could they could just as easily be like two and eight right now as they are seven and three. Um, you know if, if some of the breaks didn't go their way, if Justin Tucker doesn't hit a 66 yard field goal, you know, if they, if, if the Colts don't give it up in overtime, if Clyde Edwards Lair doesn't fumble at the end of that game, I mean, there's, you know, they got to, you know, overtime against the Vikings too. You know, I mean, if the bears don't give it up late, I mean, there's a lot of games where Baltimore has been living on the razor's edge. And when you look at their remaining schedule two against Cleveland, two against Pittsburgh, they've got green Bay and the Rams in there, and they've got to go on the road to Cincinnati. That's a tough stretch, and I'm not sure that their luck can hold up um, with a run like that. But if you're a Chiefs fan, I think you've got to root for New England to beat Tennessee this week because Tennessee is the team that has the easiest schedule down the stretch. But then, you know, New England and Buffalo, you know, play, play each other twice after that. I think the best-case scenario for the Chiefs is that they split and just beat each other up and, and start taking some more losses there. Cause that's what you need. You need those teams that are ahead of the chiefs to take those losses. Like you said, cause they're going to probably have to finish with a better record overall and not rely on any of the tiebreakers. Yeah, just the, the Patriots have an interesting schedule for the, their next four games over the five week span. Cause they got a bye week in there. I mean, for them, they're facing the Titans, the bills, the Colts, the bills. 
So, I mean, and that, and they already have four losses. So they're on their margins are, are at a point too, to where they need to be able to keep pace if they want to be in the, one of the top seeds and win the AFC East for the first time without Tom Brady. So that that's going to be interesting in itself. And, you know, Belichick wants to be able to do that to show he can have success after Tom. So that's going to be his driving factor at this point. And for them to reeled off five wins in a row in different ways that they have in different styles of the play action with the run game and <clears throat> things of that nature. So that that's going to be intriguing. And I'm curious, I'm curious to see how Belichick's going to defend the bills while also how he's going to attack the bills. Yeah. Cause the league's going to copy a lot of what he ends up doing come playoff time. So that's going to be interesting itself. And a league's going to copy a lot of what he potentially does against the Colts and Titans as well. So, but I mean, this, this one probably won't be an accurate depiction with the Titans whenever the Patriots play them, simply because you don't have Derrick Henry, AJ Brown. I don't know if they're going to have the Sunday and then Julio, Julio Jones, Jones is going to be out at least three weeks. So, I mean, you've lost, you know, you've lost, I mean, Henry accounted for almost 70, if not 80 yards of that, or excuse, 80, 70 or 80% of that offense. Like it's built around him in the play action. So to not have him is crucial, but then to not have your two star wide receivers on top of it at that point, it's the only thing that was different between the saints last night and the Titans right now is the fact that um, the Titans at least have their starting quarterback, you know, the saints didn't. Yeah. And, and so that was the only difference. And as you saw, the bills just blew out the saints because the saints didn't have any of their marquee, any of their marquee running backs with Kamara or Ingram. And then they, obviously haven't had Michael Thomas all year and they haven't had <clears throat> their star receivers. You know, they just, they just don't have any star players or explosive players that can really kind of help carry Trevor Simeon in that game last night. And he faltered and kind of made you wonder why he's essentially still in the league at this point. <laughs> um, Cause he was bad whenever he was in Denver. And that's, I don't know how many stops ago that was at this point. Cause that was back in 2016 when they anointed him the starter of the Broncos and, it, it was a struggle from that point, but you know, it, it'll be interesting in that regard. And it'll be because <clears throat> the problem for the Titans is are uh, not the Titans, but the bills the problem for the bills is they've, when they face teams like the Titans Colts, they struggle with a physical style. They do better with finesse. And the reason that the bills have lost is because those teams can stop. Those teams can stop the run. They can run the ball down people's throats. They can get physical with them. And on top of it, they can get after Josh Allen and get him off the spot. And, I mean, the, uh, beating the Bills isn't any different than that. And I know the Bills keep saying, well, they're playing they're playing too deep shell or, you know, cover cover two against us, you know, like, like we did against the Chiefs. And, you know, but it is what it is. But, I mean, the, the thing on the Bills right now is you get physical with them, they, uh, they fold pretty quick. So, that's what the Colts did against them. And that's what the Patriots are going to do against them. And, in a week or so on Monday night football. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes for him. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think it's going to take 10 and seven to get to the playoffs in the AFC this year. Um, I think that, and, and I think there may be a 10 and 17 that's left out even at that point. Um, um, I think it's going to be a dog fight down the stretch, but, um, you know, like I said, I mean, the, the chiefs have put themselves in position. If the defense keeps playing like it is, um, if the offense, I mean, look, the offense is doing enough to win right now. 
Um, and, and if they ever get things figured out um, and, and start playing that consistent brand of football, you know, we saw in 2018, 2019, 2020, which we know is in there because they did it at Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. If they start doing that consistently, I think they become the clear-cut favorites in the AFC if if they come out of the break and, and they're firing on all cylinders as a team. Certainly possible. I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just taking it a week at a time, Todd. Just a week at a time. Well, other than this podcast, Nick, what are you thankful for this year? Um <laughs> uh let's see here. Well, Todd, I, I mean, look, it, it hasn't been an ideal year with all that's gone on um, from February until, until well, still now. But um, so, I mean, you know, just I, I guess in that regard, being able to spend time with my mom yesterday and then, you know, hopefully getting to spend some more time with my grandpa and then, you know, um, go from there. Yeah, no, I, I got to meet my niece um, for the first time on the holidays. She was born uh, in late September. Um, so, um, you know, it's good to see family. It's good to, you know, get back together again with everybody. And, um, you know, I mean, a little bit of a sense of normalcy. Um, you know, so um, hopefully we, we will be back to normal by this time next year and have a lot more to be thankful for. Yeah, we'll see. But now it's time to get on to the next part. What are your what are your concerns for the Chiefs, Todd? Where have the Chiefs improved, and where are you still concerned? Um, so I still think they're one injury away from being the same defense we saw the first five weeks. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, obviously, if Chris Jones goes down, they're in trouble. It, you know, if if Frank Clark's hamstring flares up again, you know, if Melvin Ingram's knees don't hold up, um, even if you know. I mean, even a loss to a guy like Derek Nottie, um, who's kind of an unsung hero on the run defense there as a run stuff from the middle. Uh, they just don't have their depth is is good enough right now. Um, but I, I it I don't I think it's a razor thin margin there. Um, you know, and obviously on the offensive side, you know, if if the Chiefs lost Patrick Tyreek or, or Travis Kelsey, I think that the trajectory of the team takes a, a a pretty sharp turn in the wrong direction. If you're a chiefs fan, um, hoping for a, you know, a, a playoff run here. Um, I, I think though, my biggest concern centers around play calling. Um, it doesn't seem like the chiefs have the same mojo they've had the last three years when it comes to, um, dialing up the right play at the right time. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think you and I've talked about, especially early on, when teams were playing that too high look and, and, you know, they were facing light boxes. Um, you know, we were begging for them to, to run some power game because, you know, behind Tooney Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith in the middle, and they seem reluctant to do that. Um, they finally in the last couple of weeks seem to have gone to some running back passing game, which I think has helped, um, you know, create some voids in that, in that intermediate level for crossing routes and things like that, or, or create some voids for, you know, create some windows for Patrick to throw in, um, you know, uh, not deep, but, you know, but, you know, in that 10 to 20 yard range. Um, but I, I just, they haven't seemed to find that rhythm and whether that's, you know, some of that may be health, some of that may be the lack of a true number two receiver. 
or Josh Gordon's inability so far to get assimilated in the offense and be productive in the offense. But um, that's still my biggest concern is um, are the chiefs ever going to um, get in sync and figure things out on offense? Or is this just going to be an average offense instead of an elite offense this year? Yeah. I mean, when I kind of look at the chiefs through their time so far, I mean, Steve Spagnuolo seems to have a way by the time week eight rolls around a week 10 range. It just seems like the defense kind of gets in, gets in sync at that point, but you don't want that to be the case every single year. Like you, you don't want to have to wait, you know, and, and dig yourself a hole every time for that to, for that to be what you're just going to have to rely upon until the defense gets around its point. And I think a big part of what they were missing was Melvin Ingram at defensive end. Oh, they needed that other, they needed an edge rusher. that could take pressure off Frank Clark and potentially Chris Jones, but then they also needed Chris Jones to be on the interior, regardless of what ended up happening, just because that's where he's dominant. That's where that guy is one of the top two in the league. And he has an impact on every single play, whether he actually gets to the quarterback or smacks the ball down, doesn't matter. He impacts every single play because the interior has to recognize them every single time. And sometimes a uh, left tackle will on accident when they shouldn't be. So, you know, that's just, that's part of that aspect and having Melvin Ingram on that other side has kind of given them the healthy pass rush that shows what this defense is capable of being when they have all those guys together. And then when you look at the, um, the defense, I mean, obviously people, people destroyed Nick Bolton early because of his lack of athletic ability when they were putting him out in coverage at the weak side linebacker spot. Once he filled in for Hitchens at the Mike spot, he got confidence and he got a little, he got some burst and he got to showcase what they drafted him for originally and why. And people got really excited about that and people want to see more snaps from him. Um, but then on top of that, the other thing that's kind of helped other than having Bolton and Willie Gay play up to their potential is from a cornerback safety perspective. Once they finally put one Thornhill back at the free safety spot and let him use his range, that stopped a ton of explosive plays since then. There are not many explosive plays that go deep anymore because of that. Matthew's able to roam over the middle and be the robber at times that he needs to on some routes, and he can cover the tight ends at time if he needs to, like he did with Waller against the Raiders. And then if you look at the secondary portion of it, being able to get back into the normal flow where they can move Snead around has been crucial, where they can have Ward play one of the outside spots and then be, being able to utilize Fenton the way that they have that's really kind of helped stabilize what they can do as a secondary. So like you said, they have enough quality starters to have a good defense, but if they lose the depth of those guys, there's, there's just not a lot of depth behind them that can withstand that. So that's going to be the injuries. They're going to be crucial on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are what would make that offense go whether it's a mediocre offense, a great offense, it doesn't matter. Like that's the, those are the guys that make that run. And I personally think that because if you look at Tyree kill on the injury report, he's had the quad, he's had the ankle and he's had the groin. I don't think he's had the time to get truly healthy. So I don't think he's been at top end speed because of that. And then I also don't, and I, and he's, he's a tough receiver. So he just plays through it. That's just who that, who that guy is. And, and people, you know, and I don't think people truly appreciate how much Tyreek is kind of like there's receivers that would that would keep themselves out three weeks and four weeks 
and Tyreek just kind of plays through those things. And, and had some of those receivers on the roster in recent years. Yes. And he's also <laughs> in Baltimore now. Um, but, but Tyreek just, you know, he's, he's a tough dude and he just somehow gets through it. I mean, that's just what makes him the special receiver that he is. And then Travis Kelsey has been listed with a neck injury since the Buffalo game. And in that game, he coincidentally took a shot to the head slash neck area. And since then, I know he's had more drops that people have questioned and people are wondering if he's the same. Like, like I said on Twitter, like, I don't think people understand like some of the stuff, like I, you know, if, if I, if I hurt my back um, shooting a high school game, which happens every single Friday, because carrying that, carrying that on your shoulder, that, that kind of compresses your back and it can aggravate it for a couple of days like that, that for me, you know, I can quote unquote work through, but I'm not performing at a top level. Like, you know, Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill are yet. They, you know, they, they still go out there and perform at a high level, even when they're on the injury report with certain things, just, I, I marvel at that every time. And I think people too often with players think that, well, he's on the field. So he's clearly hundred percent. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, players, players play through some things. That's just kind of what they do. And then they trust, you know, them and the medical staff, they, they're able to trust each other and know what they can and can't push. So that, you know, in that regard, that that's kind of what that is, you know, whatever it can be on that. Um, yeah, the, I was going to say uh, your, your, your highlights a couple of weeks ago were a little shaky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, so you're out here getting jokes. They probably were, man. My back was probably giving out at that point. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't but, watch TV. Okay. But anyways, <laughs> um, the thing that I really think has held this offense back, I think them not having a dynamic running back, an explosive running back on that roster, I think is really what's keeping that offense from forcing teams out of the two shell that people talk about all the time. And I think it also kind of keeps them from being able to keep the chains and down and distance reliable. Now having another, a number two, a number two receiver, like I've talked about a great deal that that would help too. Like that helps that offense. All those options help that offense, but I think between the play at offensive tackle, the lack of an explosive dynamic running back, and the lack of another receiving option that's reliable and can keep the chains moving, I think those three things are what's causing that offense to sputter. And in turn, that magnifies the play calling because the play calling isn't able to cover all those. It isn't able to hide some of those. And especially at the tackle spot, if you're calling – five and seven stuff drops out of shotgun and Mahomes is waiting for the routes to open, but the tackles already getting beat within, you know, two seconds. Sometimes like he had to take off or he's learned in a couple of weeks to, you know, step up in the pocket and that type of stuff. So, I mean, all those things combined, like they're just having a domino effect on that offense. And for the most part, I mean, like the thing I hope Eric, the enemy understands is that this is his audition for the NFL again. And how this offense performs down the stretch here and in the playoffs is going to determine a lot of if another NFL owner wants to invest in him as a head coach. So, I mean, this is an audition for him. So, I mean, in press conferences, I know he can say all the right things and everything, but right now on the field, like this is, this is his chance. If he wants a head coaching job and he wants to show that he can, that he can do it. I mean, this is, this is his opportunity right now. Yeah. I mean, cause it'd be hard if I'm an NFL owner and I see, okay, the enemy's taking over play calling duties. Like this is his offense now. And if, if he's struggling to figure it out with Patrick Mahomes, I'm not sure 
if I'm an owner who doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes, that that I'm going to have faith that he's absolutely the guy that I need to, you know, um, take my team, you know, to the level that the Chiefs have been at under Andy Reid. Well, and um, so. like the, and the other concern from afar is, okay, the first 15 works. What you what the staff collectively came up with together, who came up with it, that scripted part works. Like what you saw on tape all week worked. But then after that, seems to routinely have more struggles than it should to where there's only one or two drives that turn into an effective, you know, an effective scoring drive. So then the question is, okay, but whenever you have to adjust and react, how come those things aren't happening knowing your skill set of your offense? What are the, what are this, what is the defense doing that you're not able to adjust to, even though you kind of know what teams like to do on down and distances based on personnel groupings and that type of stuff. And so what that, that's another question. If I was potentially an owner, I would end up asking somebody like Eric the enemy whenever you're interviewing them for a potential head coaching job. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else about the chiefs? Um, or the AFC playoff picture you want to get off your chest? No, not right now. I mean, I, I like I, I know people have been in my mentions whenever I've been talking about the running backs, but I'm telling you, an explosive running back right now does does a lot for this offense. And like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Daryl Williams and you know Derek Gore, I, you know they're serviceable backs, but they're just not that back that can help take this offense to a different level right now. I mean, they all have their skill sets and they all have their they all have their strengths, but none of those right now are what this offense truly needs to be able to be as versatile as it can be and to be able to destroy people that decide that they want to have only five or six in the box. Like, you know, Jamal Charles, Kareem Hunt type, you know, one of those type of running backs or even Stevenson with the Patriots. Like they, they would destroy so much of this right now. And this Chiefs offense would be humming in a lot of different ways. So that's kind of... I think that's going to be a bigger issue than people realized to have to address down the road. Yeah. Really missing Darwin Thompson right now. Yeah. I'm promise you he wouldn't have. <laughs> it wasn't the answer either. I can promise you that. <laughs> but I, I believe we had a question from Maui. Yeah. No, day. I was going to say, um, you know, I, I, off this pod. Yeah. I mean, some people were interested in kind of like how the sausage is made as sports journalists and like what drew us to the profession in the first place. So uh, what, what, you know, what did make you want to go into sports journalism and, 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 you know, what's your passion for, for the job? Um, I mean, I, I used to see, I used to see like Leaf and Dave, Leaf Lysing and Dave Stewart who are here locally. I used to watch those guys do it whenever I was a little kid. I know they enjoy hearing that since I was a coworker of theirs for more than a <laughs> right? decade and a half. Um, but whenever I was a little well, kid, they're both I, like 75 now, right? Dude, don't don't be rude. <laughs> don't be rude to either one of them. They're phenomenal people, and they're not that. Old. Uh, I know. I, I covered. Stop. I, although I did, I covered. I mean, you want to age Dave Stewart a little bit more? I I covered no. his kids in high school. His son Stephen, in particular, was a a tremendous, tremendous soccer player and baseball player to late the East uh, back in the day, and and um, you know, so um, you know, but no, I I agree. I love Dave. Love Leaf. Although I, I thought. I thought it was Leif. Have you not seen the behind the music? Um, it just, you just, I, I understand that that's one of the many references that people have. Um, some people have called him life before. Some people yeah, have called yeah. him Leif. Some people called him life. 
it just it just depends so unfortunately that's a that's a thing <laughs> um <laughs> yeah they get confused by calling them leaf based on the spelling um but no i mean like i, I used to watch when i was a little kid so i mean my my choices that i was thinking about what i was wrestling with is um don't want to be a professional football player try that out have that dream that was number one obviously and then shockingly potentially being a football coach was something i thought about in high school um but i mean at nine i was still kind of pretty pretty much set on being a sports anchor sports reporter as i was like yeah you can have a longer career with that than being a football player and and then potentially just some of the coaching things i figured that would that would be tough to get into that industry um so i mean that was kind of and, and then when i once i got to once I got to high school and I did the school TV show at Oak Park called Balloon Review, um, I did a sports segment on there. First, I anchored the show and I got bored with that. So then I want to do a sports segment so I could start honing Minecraft and what I was planning on doing anyway. So I started doing that. Then I got the internship at Metro Sports uh, right out of high, three months out of graduating high school. I was already working at Metro when I was 18, just because I didn't want to, I didn't want to wait to learn from professionals and learn the ins and outs of the industry while I was going through college. I mean, I was going to Maple Woods anyways, and they weren't gonna have classes on that. And I wasn't going to MU or another college at that time. So I wanted to learn from professionals and learn the industry and the ins and outs of it while, you know, while I was, you know, going through that stuff. So I just wouldn't completely waste my time in college, you know, being blindsided by the time I got in the professional world. And I wanted to establish networking connections in that regard too. So. I mean, I got to learn from Leaf. I got to learn from Dave. I got to learn from Mick and got to work with those guys on a daily basis and did that from 04 till 2017. So, I mean, that was, that was a phenomenal chance. Although when I graduated from college, I did interview up at KQ2 in St. Joe for the weekend sports anchor job. And um, they were going to offer it to me. Then I went on a hiring freeze because of the 08 um, economic climate at that point. So then I just stayed at Metro the entire time. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, look, it's, and then I became, you know, I started doing photogging and producing and that about 2011, 2012 and had fun with that and have done that since then. And that gave me opportunities to go out and cover the chiefs on a daily basis as a photog and put together quality chief shows in that regard and kind of do that. And then also from the Twitter perspective, there since twitter was kind of new at that point and it wasn't what it has become overall um i was able to just do analysis and stuff like that because I, I know there was a lot of at the time there's just a lot of uh, just media in general just didn't have a lot of analysis and breakdown type stuff it's boom since then because i saw that people liked it and enjoyed it but at the time it wasn't it wasn't huge back then so um, that was something I wanted to learn and do. So I learned from a lot of NFL people and picked their brains on a daily basis and got to learn that. And I had already learned a ton from my football coaches, um, Ken Clemens and, and Jason Fowler taught me a ton. Mark Moss taught me a little bit that since he was a receivers coach, I couldn't learn as much from him not being at that position on a daily basis. And then learned from Tom Reynolds about defense some and special teams and special teams from Fowler too. So they're, those were all kind of what shaped it to where it is and along the way type of thing. But the biggest thing I can tell you, no matter what, whether it's sports or something else, um, in any industry, any profession, first off, being humble is the key because um, nobody likes to know it all or somebody that 
and just listen to what everybody has to say. Even if you already know what they're saying, just listen to them and respect that they're telling you because they're taking time out of their day to teach you so that you can be better. That's first thing I can tell you. And then second thing is you have to have a curious mind at all times or as much as possible. And there's going to be some days where you're going to be worn out and there's stuff that's going to be going on, but you, you have to want to learn more. You have to have, you have to want to question things. You have to have a drive to want to be able to know why does this work the way that it does in a situation like this? Who should I talk to? Because sometime down the road, another situation may arise where you're like, Oh, Hey, I can call this person and get an answer here and get a perspective that nobody else has. So just over time, those are so crucial in networking, no matter who they are, what industry they're in, like get to know those people, show respect for them, care about them and get to know who they are as a person, what drives them, their families, stuff like that. Cause that's something like, you know, you and I both know about Therese and you and I is that like, we have those curious minds and like, we actually cared about people and how they're doing and how things are going for them. It's not just a business transaction. You know, you don't, you're not just using people for, whatever like those those are the key things that i can tell you oh and everybody i can tell you in a press conference since everybody likes to criticize it a lot there's a certain amount of respect and professionalism you need to show when asking a question and you can't treat it like it's a comment section or on twitter mentions you can i know people get upset about why is daniel Sorensen or ben neiman getting these snaps and things like that here's the reality coaches e even if i ask that question I can ask that question, but in doing, in asking that question and doing it in a brutal and blunt way that fans want at times, the coach isn't going to answer it because that means they're going to throw their player under the bus and that's going to be disrespectful to the player that's working hard for them. And that's going to resonate in the locker room. So they're not, they're not going to answer that in that way. The way you have to respectfully do it is what does a player have to hypothetically what what does a player need to showcase to you at this position to be able to get more snaps so it never calls out a player it never specifically tries to target a player it never tries to single out a player it just allows people to learn what they're actually curious to learn about that or what characteristics do you value in that position you ask things like that so one, you always get to learn no matter who the player is in the future, and you can reference that in the future to people when they ask that question, because the names and numbers are going to change over the years. But what they value characteristic-wise is going to stay the same, and that's something you can all learn collectively in that moment and that, at that time. And the thing that people need to understand about media also as well is that the, you're there to learn but you're also there to be able to get information for people that are curious and want to learn more about it. And so there's just, there's just a certain respect. There's a certain finesse you need to have about it. And there's just a certain way to approach it. Cause you can, you can do the sledgehammer to a brick wall approach all you want, where you're just frustrated and yelling about how this defense is terrible. How come it's terrible? This person needs to be fired. Why haven't they been fired yet? You can try that approach, but like that just, that gives you an awful reputation as a journalist and it shows that you're really not taking the time to learn the craft and be respectful to it, but also be able to ask questions in a way where people can actually learn and you're not trying to make people have to essentially in some ways be defensive and having to deflect from the unprofessional question you asked. 
Yeah, and and your turn, Todd. <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, look, I mean, part of it too is to kind of put it in in terms that that the average Joe might understand. Like, I didn't. How dare you? <laughs> no, I'm saying, like, if you're a coach, um, the players that are playing for you are some combination of your friend or your adult child, right? Like, I mean, you're you're kind of in a a responsible position over him, but you've also got a relationship with him. And so if someone is asking questions that are attacking your friend or, you know, somebody like that, it's, it's going to put you on the defensive and you're not going to, you're not going to want to give them the information that they're trying to seek. So that's why being like, you know, like saying, no, Daniel Sorensen's terrible. Why do you play him? You know, he's like, listen, you know, he's got a personal relationship with Daniel. He, you know, it would be like if someone, you know, came, you know, took the gloves off and and came after, you know, your best friend. I mean, you're not going to be happy with the tone and tenor of that question. You're going to get defensive, um, you know. But like I said, there's a way to say like, like, hey, what what's going on with that guy? Like, what can you know? What insight can you give me as to, you know, why he's struggling or what is it you need to see from that position so that you will, you know, stop having the struggles of that position? And you know, like you said that. But that's kind of, you have to be wary of that relationship a little bit. And that's why I think a lot of times fans lose sight of the fact that, that these, these are people, which is why I think like Matt Nagy is a perfect example. You know, they're, they're, the bears are struggling a little bit um, this year, Um, you know, four and seven, there's a lot of reports that, that Nagy is not going to be the bears coach next year. Right. Um, But it's hard to sell. I mean, like whatever the bears do, the bears do, but I know you and I are never going to celebrate like a good man, um, you know, having to, cause he's got kids and a wife and those kids are in school and right. they've got assistant coaches and whatever. Like it's not a cut and dried situation for those people. I'm never going to have ill will toward Matt Nagy. Right. Like, I mean, even if it's just because he was willing to give us time to talk about our friend Therese a couple months ago, like, uh, you know, I have an appreciation for who he is as a person, um, and for, for things like that. So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if he's not the right guy to lead the bears, the bears will make that decision. And certainly I'll report on it and, you know, and I'll, I'll point out that the offense hasn't played well. Like I don't have a problem being objective like that, but I'm not going to, um, celebrate and trumpet, uh, you know, a man losing his job in a situation like that, especially when I, when I believe he's a good man. And that, that brings up the perfect point because whenever I tweeted on Tuesday, like whenever this stuff potentially was going to happen, when the report came out about Nagy, about how it may end up being this Friday, that he was going to have to part ways with the Bears. And that since has been a report since been uh, squashed at this point, which kind of makes you wonder sometimes if part of that got leaked out so that the Bears would rally around the coach so that they could try to win against the Lions on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's something else that, you, you know, I'll, I'll finish the Nagy thing, but I'll go into the other part too, is like you said, with the Nagy thing, I tweeted out about how that dude, he's got a good football mind. Like I've talked to that guy before. Like, I mean, he's, he's got a better football mind than he's able to showcase right now with the, with the bears, but going to be a head coach somewhere that kind of happens from time to time because you're dependent on a general manager, getting the right people and personnel for what you're trying to run. And if that GM isn't the guy that can get that done, your offense isn't going to look as great and you're going to have to try to adjust your offense to that type of stuff. So that can be an uphill battle. If the GM and head coach aren't the 
don't come from the same background or have the same mentality or the, you know, the, the mesh that is able to work in that regard. Um, and then I know like fans were, uh, I saw Bears fans immediately got critical of me and said that I was biased and I'm clearly admitting that I have a bias too. And I'm like, no, I'm just telling you, I know, I understand he's a human being and I've talked to him before and I've gotten to be able to get insight from learning from him over time to where like, you know, like that I, I understand he's a human being. I'm telling you, don't forget that this guy is a human being, but you know, people, people twist whatever words they want to, however they want to. That's just kind of the way uh, social media works in that regard. But you know, um, yeah, I, I, listen, I promise you every NFL coach knows more about football than you, me, or anyone listening to this podcast knows about football. Correct. Uh, they know more about their team, their personnel, who, who's, who is playing well, who's making mistakes, what needs to happen than you and I ever will. Um, and I just, uh, you know, um, you know, like I said, so it, if you want to understand the game better, you know, things like that, like, um, you know, asking questions in a respectful way um, to seek information is the way to go. Like, um, you know, being hot-headed about things is not going to be, it's going to be counterproductive most of the time. Yes, I'd say 99% of the time. <laughs> and sometimes it's one. fun. Sometimes <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> if you're an agent to, of chaos. <laughs> agree to disagree on that one. Um, and then the other thing we talk about is kind of sources. Like, I know this happens and people people kind of criticize it from time to time. Like, I mean, any, any people who have sources, like the, typically there's something they're they're trying to, you know, they're trying to put out there report wise, like they want that out there. Otherwise they wouldn't tell anybody anything. So they're clearly trying to put something out there and it just depends on who, who has what to gain from it. So like, for example, let's take the Bears situation recently with the Nagy thing we were talking about that got leaked out that supposedly he was going to be gone on Tuesday, a day or two later, it leaks out that the owner addressed the team and talked to them and told them that that wasn't going to, that that wasn't true and that that wasn't going to happen. So clearly there was potentially two different agendas with that by those, by those stories getting out there, either somebody wanted to put pressure to try to force a decision or they wanted the players to rally around the coach and win a football game. But I'm saying like, there's, there's always an agenda for why something is out there or why something gets put out there. And it may not even be that day. It might be something well down the road that is a, that potentially could be, you know, information that somebody else gets for a bigger story down the road. That's just, that's just kind of the way that the, that that works in, in a higher scale. Right. And a lot of times that information comes from like mid-level, um, you know, guys within an organization, whether it's a team or whether it's the NFL, you think about some of the reports that, that Schefter gets and stuff like that, but agents are, are, um, you know, big in that world in terms of, you know, planting stories in the media. And obviously they, those guys always have an agenda, right? Like there's a reason that an agent wants to get information out there in the media, um, you know, for one reason or another, and there's various avenues to go about doing that. Um, you know, but there, there are times when you know how the sausage is made, sometimes you take some reports with a grain of salt, especially like the Nagy one was odd because a journalist who doesn't typically cover the bears is the one who broke it. Right. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, well, that one's, that one's odd. And that's not to say that, that, that doesn't happen. I mean, I think some random dude on Twitter broke Giancarlo Stanton's contract and 
you know, obviously it was a random liquor store clerk who, you know, who broke news that like Mahomes was getting a contract extension and stuff like that. Um, so those kind of things happen, but um, it's also sometimes when, when something like that happens, you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of wonder where did the information come from? Well, and then, like you said, in terms of some of those reports, like there are at least, there are at least seven teams that are interested in the player's services. <laughs> That one's pretty clear, <laughs> like where that one's coming from. Yeah. Source tells us that they're the, the seven teams are interested in this player. Well, why aren't you telling us the seven teams? And then, but if it's a good team, they will definitely tell you at that point, hey, the the the, the Chiefs have reached out. And the Chiefs may be like, hey, is this still your cell phone number? It is? Okay, cool. Thanks. And they're like, the Chiefs reached out. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, those type of things. So, it, like, like with uh, – with Odell Beckham, like you saw, you saw that you saw the the way that that went about, just how unique of a, a thing that was, and the whirlwind that was with that one. And then even whenever it got reported that he was, it was agreed that he was going to the that he was going to the Rams, and the Rams posted on their website, and then Odell directly tells Josina Anderson and then uh, Kim Jones like. Yeah, no, I'm still deciding on it. And I'm like, and then the Rams pull down their thing and you know, <laughs> off the website, and then uh that just kind of turns into that whirlwind, and then he still signs, you know, signs with them and 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 that type of thing. It's just kind of it's just kind of how all that stuff ends up going, man. It's you know, it's just a just a unique thing. I mean, over time, if I was if I had been if I'd never got to kind of see how that world works in some regard, I wouldn't I totally get what people you know, people, why people would have frustration or say that this person doesn't know what they're talking about, or this person had a false report here. It may not, it may not have been false. It's just, it just wasn't the, the agenda that the other person was trying to get out there. It was one person's truth. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the whole truth. It was one portion of that person's truth. So yeah. I don't know, man, it, you know, it's just, it's just a unique, interesting world in that regard in terms of, finding stories and breaking stories and getting that type of information. Yeah. See, for me, I, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Um, I love the Royals, Kevin Seitzer, Bo Jackson, like the late eighties Royals. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a 10 year old kid. You know, I was uh, seven when they won the world series so in 85. So, um, you know, I mean that, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but my mom wouldn't let me play little league at the time. Um, you know, like we couldn't, uh, couldn't really afford it, uh, a single parent mom on a school teacher salary. So it, the path to the majors was probably going to be a difficult one for me to navigate at that point with, with that attitude. It was <laughs> okay. with, with no equipment and no training and no experience. Um, but my other passion was writing like, um, and at the time, a lot of it was, was actually poetry. <clears throat> And about the time I was, you know, 11, I think, um, it was a conversation with my grandfather. Um, you know, and he was asking me what I wanted to be when I, when I grew up and I didn't really have a clear idea. You know, I mean, at that age, you know, you say doctor, lawyer, fireman, whatever, right. Astronaut. Um, I didn't really have a, a clear goal. Um, other than, you know, I wished I would be a major league baseball player one day. Um, and he asked what else I was, was passionate about. And I told him writing and, and he, he was like, well, there you go. You should be a sports writer. And that was the first time I realized that someone would pay you to write about sports. And I, I, you know, I was like, wait a minute. So somebody pays me to go to a game and then write about it. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. And uh, so at that point I was sold. I was like, that's what I want to do. I either wanted to replace Bob Costas doing the Olympics for NBC. Um, 
or, or write for the Kansas City Star. Cause I, you know, as I got into middle school and high school, you know, Joe Posnanski and Jason Whitlock and Randy Kovitz and, uh, you know, Mike DeArmond and, and all those guys were, um, you know, they were, they were kind of my, you know, my celebrity heroes, so to speak, the guys whose bylines I saw in the Kansas City Star on a regular basis. Um, you know, and, and so that became my goal, um, was to do that. And, you know, and, and, and over time I eventually got there and I was able to, to be a reporter for the Kansas City Star and I, I enjoyed it. Um, and then at some point they, um, told me that they enjoyed it, uh, my presence less than I enjoyed my presence. And so I moved on, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, it's kind of cool to still be able to, to, be a part of that a little bit, um, in my new role here at KSHB. And, and, uh, I, I know we're lucky to have you. I, I know I'm, you know, listen, I'm biased. I mean, you know, I'm sure people can come at me like they came at you over Matt Nagy, but I think you're the best sports producer in Kansas city. And we're lucky to have you. And I'm lucky to be able to do this podcast with you. I still, um, you know, even after what, is this our fourth year? I don't know, man. I think this is our fourth year doing it. I have no idea. I don't know. It just blurs together anymore. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. So let, let me ask last thing before we wrap this up, because I know this is a long one, but what was your, do you, do you have like a welcome to the NFL moment that you can point to, um, you know, like players talk about, you know, the first time they got hit or first time they got sacked or, you know, wide receiver, first time they got blown up going over the middle for you as a sports reporter, was there your first time you were like, Oh man, I'm really a professional now. This, this is nuts. Um, there, there will be two, and it's two different occurrences. First was when I was an intern in 04, Chiefs had just played the Broncos, Priest Holmes was still around, Dante Hall was still around, and the Chiefs had just played on Sunday Night Football. And then, so for my internship that Monday, I went with uh, one of the reporters, <clears throat> I was a freelancer at the time, Elton, Elton invited me to go out there with him. So I went out to Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs locker in that day when they were still inside Arrowhead. And I mean, we're going down the stairs and like there's there's Trent Green, there's Priest. Walking in the locker room, there's Willie Rofe, you know, walking across the locker room. It took him about five minutes to get there because of how bad his knees were, <laughs> you know, the wear and tear of it. And it wasn't it wasn't a massive locker room, but it, that kind of hits you reality wise because you'd watch that guy glide on weekends and like just just be nimble as he could and just completely just closed down Dwight Freeney, one of the most athletic defensive ends in the league. And then you see like kind of the, you get to see during the week what it's like. And then you're like, Holy heck, man. Um, but yeah, Dante Hall had gotten hit by John Lynch the night before underneath and it would have been a penalty now, but back in the day it wasn't. And then like we were there and I held the microphone while, while, you know, the media and all of us interviewed Dante Hall. And like, I'm like, you know, like, Holy crap, I'm here right now. Holy heck, you know, I'm here right now. And this is, uh, this is Dante Hall right in front of me and this is happening and he's saying words in, in front of me <laughs> and then they're getting ready to go in a team meeting. And then, you know, you're in the, you sitting there whenever Vermeil walks in to do his presser and it, I don't know, it was a, it was a very unique, unique experience. And that, that, that was something you don't forget. And then at that point, you're kind of hooked with that profession and kind of the fun of that. No, I, I think my welcome to, later in the Dick Vermeil era, when I was a newspaper reporter at the time, um, Jason Baker had struggled against the Buffalo bills. And I was asking him about his struggles, like, like what went wrong out there. And he began screaming at me <laughs> about, 
you know, was I out there? Did I know what the wind conditions were like? And, and it was a little bit of a deer in the headlights moment. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget like Jason Whitlock, um, you know, started going after him a little bit too. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was the first time I'd been yelled at by a player or coach and I wasn't really sure what the appropriate response was. So, um, it, it was a unique situation. I think I was like probably 22 at the time. Um, and, uh, it was a learning moment for me. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. That was fun for you. <laughs> so, well, I have since been yelled at by people more and, and my response is a little bit different these days. Um, I'm stunned. But, uh, but yeah, at the time I was just like, what is happening? Why am I being yelled at? I was just, you know, he'd been having a bad run. He, I think he ended up getting cut that week, you know, later that week. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, that kind of thing happens too. So do you have a favorite moment? No, I think mine was, um, after September 11th. Um, the, the first game the Giants played um, after the, the terrorist attacks in the World Trade Center was in Kansas City. Um, and I went to try to talk to some Giants players about the experience and, and getting back to football and whatever, because the NFL had you know, postponed the, the week immediately after. Um, and I wanted to find Michael Strahan. Um, and I ended up finding him um, kind of alone in the back of the locker room. Um, <clears throat> And it was just me and, and, and another reporter from New York. And we're just asking him about it. And he, he was talking about how it was hard to play football that day because all you really wanted to do was hug the guy across from you. And instead you're supposed to hit him and knock him down and do all the things you're supposed to do. Um, you know, but it was, it was a real intimate conversation. And it was one of those things where the average person doesn't get the opportunity to go have that intimate moment with a player like a Michael Strahan. Um, or, or have that moment with somebody else. Um, and so the responsibility to tell that story warmly, accurately, and to kind of peel back the onion a little bit, um, you know, and, um, you know, give people some insight that they wouldn't otherwise get um, is a privilege. Like that storytelling aspect is a privilege. Um, and and that, that's one of the things that I enjoy most about, uh, about the profession is, getting to be part of, of those moments, getting to, you know, um, you know, record the history of that moment to it, you know, to a degree. Good job, Tom. That's all I got for you at this point. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Hey, happy Thanksgiving to all you turkeys out there. Um, I, I got nothing else, Nick. What you got? No, I mean, we'll uh, see you after the bye week. How about that? Sounds good. Uh, we can, you know, we can probably preview that Denver game at some point, Nick. Yeah, that'll be a week from today. Oh, okay. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, with that, take care, kids. <laughs>